0: My Father is rich in houses and lands. He holds the wealth of the world in His hands, of rubies and diamonds, of silver and gold. His coffers are full. He has riches untold. Even before He made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in His eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. I once was an outcast stranger on earth, a sinner by choice, an alien by birth, but I've been adopted, my name's written down, an heir to a mansion, a robe, and a crown. So we praise God for the glorious grace He has poured out on us who belong to His dear Son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that He purchased our freedom with the blood of His Son and forgave our sins. He has showered His kindness on us, along with all wisdom and understanding. I'm a child of the King, a child of the King, with Jesus my Savior, I'm a child of the King. Can somebody say amen? We are so inspired. As I said to a number of you, Kevin and I are normally here during the women's events, so to see this camp in its glory at Family Camp, we are experiencing it in such an amazing way, and the multi-generations that are here, I... I'm just profoundly inspired. So I just want to say thank you for the way that you've welcomed us and thank you. I wow, I don't know what to say. But tonight my message is titled I know him. And I want so much for us to restore our roar, to get to the place where we can declare with our whole soul, I know him and because I know him, I know these things to be true. And I want to cover four points that Jesus won for us, you can't earn them, you can't perform well enough to possess them. Jesus bought and paid for them with his blood. But I would submit to you that we can appropriate them in ever-increasing measures. We can know them, receive them, and then walk in them in ever-increasing measures. Before I dig in, first I wanna show you a picture of my family, and the reason I'm gonna do this is I'm pretty private, I'm transparent, but I'm private, but my kids are even more so, and you're not gonna see hardly any pictures of my kids on social media because they would just rather do life out of the public eye. So if anybody takes a picture and posts this, I'm out of the family, which means I have to come find you. So anyway, I'm just kidding. But anyway, the picture's a little old because we have three grandchildren. Uh, Our oldest son is Jake. He's in the middle with his wife, Lizzie. And uh, they're so precious and have been battling infertility for five, six years. So that's been a super painful battle. Um, To the left is Luke, our middle son, and his wife, Kristen. To the far right is our son, Jordan, and his wife, Jethiel, And then they have three kids. So Lachlan is in Kevin's arms. Little Lenny Joy is in Jordan's arms. And then Lana Brooke is not in the picture. So um, as I said, when we had Jake as a baby, he was so compliant, we thought we were good parents. And uh, we're like, you know, what's the big deal? You tell them what to do. (laughs) So God in his wisdom gave us Luke. And um, Lukey, uh, bless his little sweetheart, but he just came out feisty. And, you know, Jake was very fine-featured, and we, we just had no money. And Luke came out with three chins and a big honking belly, so we stuffed him into Jake's clothes because we had no money to buy him clothes that fit his chubby little body. So he literally, the shirts would ride up, his belly would hang out, he'd have three chins, and his diaper hung out of his jeans like guns, you know? And he kind of, and people would go, oh, baby, not cute baby, just, you had a baby there. (laughs) Good for you. And he'd go, eh, and he'd give him this little kind of, you know, thing. And he just had this little he was so passionate and so sweet, and he was the one, as I said, would be so excited if you were coming over. But he was also, if I said right, he said left. If I said up, he said down. Anybody have a child like that? You know, and I used to, <laughs> and I used to be like, there ain't enough room for two bosses in this house, and you ain't one of them. But he just was just that kid. And um, I remember one day we were having a face-off about his vegetables, and I said, you need to obey me. And he goes, you need to obey me. <laughs> okey dokey. And he always made like a mountain out of a molehill and a molehill out of a mountain. Like he would overstate things that didn't need to be overstated and understate things that were a really big deal. So it was just, you know, so like one day I yelled at the boys because they were doing something and I sent them to the room and gave myself a timeout, came back to the room. Mommy shouldn't have yelled that way. I'm really sorry. What you did was wrong, but I shouldn't have yelled. I'm so sorry. Jake would be like, that's all right. Luke, (laughs) you could killed me. You hurt my heart so bad. I'm telling dad. I mean, the, the, the differences between the two were just stark. Jordan, as I mentioned, was very shy, meek, and mild. And this literally happened one day. I hear them in the bathroom. Once again, another bathroom illustration. But I hear them, and Lukey says to sweet little meek and mild Jordan, hold your hands here while I flush. I'm like, I can't make that work. I mean, I can't fit that in a sentence where that's, this is okay. So I went to the bathroom. Luke had duct taped his brother's wrists together, was trying to flush him down the toilet. He's like, got his hands shoved into the toilet, hoping he'd get sucked into the vortex and he would never have to deal with them again. And I'm like, what? What? Luke, what? And he's like, I know. And he marched himself back to the corner and sat down, just put himself right in a timeout. Can't blame a guy for trying, is what he was like, you know? One time he was lying on the floor doing a puzzle, and the doorbell rang, and Kev whisked right by him, and I saw it. Kev's leg or foot just bumped Luke's elbow, which made his own little knuckle kind of just bump his head like that hard. Kev's out talking to a stranger. Lukey comes out, and he's so polite, which gives him credibility, so he stands and waits quietly. He raises his hand, which, of course, you love it when they make you look good in front of strangers, right? So Kev's like to the stranger, excuse me, just son needs me. Yes, Luke. And he goes, dad, I want you to know, I forgive you for kicking me in the head just now. (laughs) We're like, oh my word, (laughs) what are we going to do with this boy? Um, He was just a feisty, passionate little thing. And so back when I had all the, um, you know, when they were young and I had doctor appointments and bed rest, I really did, I mean, I had people say, I'll watch Jake. (laughs) Good luck with Luke, but I got Jake for you. And so there was one time when I had a doctor appointment and my first, second, and third choice babysitters would not, they were not available. Now I want you to know too, we lived on a cul-de-sac, but the end house of the cul-de-sac, the backyard backed up to a a 55 mile an hour road that people did 60 and 65 on. And there was no fence to to protect, you know, the yards from that highway. So even though we were on a cul-de-sac, we were always aware of that traffic. Okay, so I've got my first, second, third choice babysitters not available. But I had a friend who had a friend who had a friend whose daughter was available. I'm like, you'll do, because I had a doctor appointment. So I go to my doctor appointment. I come into the cul-de-sac. I see her pushing Jordan around. So the kids were one, three, and five about this point. Jojo is one. She's pushing him around the cul-de-sac in the stroller. Jake's got his pretend lawnmower in the front yard, just pushing his little plastic thing. And I see Luke nowhere. And so I pull in, and she's as lackadaisical as ever. Hey! How's it going? I'm like, hey, where's Luke? True story. I don't know. He was really hard to keep track of. I'm like, but he's a human. You lost my human? I'm like, what? She's serious. He's like, ah, you know, easy come, easy go. Seriously. So I'm running through the houses and I find him. Like from here to that, well, not even closer than that. But the ho- he was in the grass, picking up the grass, singing a happy song, and the cars were whizzing by. And I scooped him up and kissed his face, and I was like, I can't even believe it. No wonder you had no gigs. Oh my word. But why I say this story, I tell you this story, because when Luke graduated from high school, there was something that, that when we started to really work with him in middle school, it started to turn on for him. And when he graduated from high school, he said, mom and dad, he said, I know I, I gave you a run for your money when I was young, but you never made me feel like a problem child. You always made me feel like anything is possible if I would stay humble and teachable and trust God. Thank you for that. And I want to tell you now, there's no hint of that attitude, not even. It's gone. He is his father's son. He is gentle, giant, strong, the way he dotes on his wife. He's, he plays on a worship team every weekend. He owns a business. He's a contractor. He is an amazing man of God. He was worth the fight. He was worth the fight. And I tell you that story as an analogy because the promised life, the abundant life that Jesus won for us, he won it for us. But as he said in John 10.10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I come that you have life and life to the fullest. So I would submit to you that the abundant life doesn't come wrapped in a tidy bow, dropped off on our front step. We've got to fight for it. We've got to contend for it. But sometimes we approach that because there's battles. We have a target on our back. We have an enemy who's had our whole life to steady us. Sometimes we get passive and we shrug our shoulders and we say, I don't know, it's too hard to keep track of much like the babysitter, where we don't want to fight, we don't want to contend. But the thing is, someone once said, a thousand people are waiting on the other side of your obedience. Your victory, your flourishing, your healing, your wholeness ripples out. When you contend for the things God has promised you, many people are impacted. You've heard it said, hurt people, hurt people. Well, my friend also says, my friend Melissa says, well, healed people, heal people. So when we contend for all that God has for us, we're not the only ones who benefit. Many will see and hear and put their trust in the Lord. Amen? Your life is worth it. Your story is worth it. And you can't please God without faith. We've got to activate our faith because our faith pleases God and it changes us. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for this camp. I want to thank you again for the leadership. I, Kevin and I are just in awe. I mean even to be grafted in. I mean, I, I've met so many people who have multi-generations that have been in this family, been at this camp, and we feel like we're kind of outsiders who've been grafted in so, and welcomed, and we don't even know what to say except with all our hearts. Thank you that you've given us a place at your table of grace and a place at the table with this amazing family. We pray that you pour out your spirit in this place. We pray you'd activate generosity, O oh God. We pray, Lord, that you would do above and beyond all we can ever dare to ask or think in this place, in lives and hearts, in our stories. Would you speak through me now? I pray, God, would you deliver the depressed? Would you heal sick bodies? Would you heal broken bodies? Would you renew minds? Would you restore souls? Would you revive those who are weary? And would you mobilize us that we would reflect your heart and your passion for the world? In Jesus' name, amen. So, I want to talk with you about four things Jesus won, and I'm going to hit them over and over again, so don't worry if you don't get them the first time. <clears throat> I'm going to put them in a, in a possessive statement. I am secure, I am healing, I am called, and I am promised. I am secure, I am healing, and I'll explain why I'm saying healing versus healed. I'm called, and I'm promised. So every day on my radio show, I ask the same question at the open of the show, and it's one of my favorite questions. I just make it personal, and I tell my guests before we get on the air, uh, I'm going to ask you a personal question before we dig into your book. What's the Lord been talking to you about? Take as much time as you want to unpack it. And the word comes alive because these people spend time with God, and our listeners absolutely love just to hear a fresh word from God every day. And I don't know if you know Alan Jackson, not the country singer. Do you know the other Alan Jackson. He's on TV. He's written, he's a pastor. He's written some books. He's phenomenal. I, I, I feel like he has a prophetic optimism. I, I love him, and I have him on somewhat regularly, but I'd had him on a few years ago, and I was in the middle of this relapse that I told you that happened eight years, started eight years ago, but anyway, what Alan said when I said, what is the Lord talking to you about? He said, Susie, I've been sitting with the story when Paul went before Agrippa, He says he suffered this great injustice, and yet he, the greatest evangelist of all time, takes this unjust opportunity as a chance to preach the gospel. And he gives such a compelling argument that Agrippa, in so many words, said, "You almost persuaded me to become a Christian." And he said, "I've been thinking about some of the things God has promised me that I know to be true, but because of the the, you know it was COVID, we were in the middle of the pandemic and so much craziness in our world," he said. I wonder if I've only become almost persuaded. Have I let go of certainty and of a conviction about things that I know God has promised? And if you could hear, if you could hear that conversation, you would hear my voice crack. And it took all of my restraint to keep it together. I, I wanted to just guttural sob, and let me tell you why. So as I mentioned, I contracted Lyme 32 years ago, and it's been up and down and all around. I've made great strides. But eight years ago, there was multiple traumas in our family, one after the other. And at the same time, apparently people with chronic Lyme also have a a genetic uh, disposition to not be able to process mold. And I had been unknowingly exposed repeatedly to black mold. And so uh, prior to this incident, I would say two, three times a year, I could tell flare-ups were coming when my face would start to go numb, my tongue would go a little numb, my arm would go a little numb, I'd get some vertigo um, and... uh, I wasn't firing great in my brain, I'm like, oh, here it comes, and I would have to rest and cancel things and just do what I could to bring inflammation down in my body, but I'd ride it out and I'd get through it. Well, that was happening, but we were under some great stress, some real terrible family things were happening. My sisters, my younger sisters husband diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Uh, A week later, my niece was in a tubing accident and was kicked and ripped her pancreas, almost died. It was one thing after another after another. And I'm having these flare-ups, and I'm thinking, oh, okay, here it goes, but well, all of a sudden, it came and hit me like uh, I was getting ready uh, to go to the radio station, and my face started to go numb, my arms started to go numb, the room started to spin, the ringing, I have constant loud, loud ringing in my ears, but it went up to a fe- feverish pitch to about, on a one scale of 1 to 10 to a 16, and uh, I, I, it was like neurological fireworks going on, and I'm like, oh, God, no, oh, God, no, please, God, no, please, God, no, and I heard the Lord whisper to my heart. The storms reveal the lies we believe and the truths we need. I'm like, what? The storms reveal the lies we believe and the truths we need. I'm like, what is the lie that I believe? And you remember the lie I talked about the first session, for those of you who were here, when I was beat up on the way home from school as a little girl? enemy said, I can get to you anytime, anywhere, and God will never stop me. So in that bathroom, I, the numbing in my neck and the esophagus was having a spasm so I couldn't swallow. My arms are numb. The room is spinning. And I'm, and I'm hearing God say, the storms reveal the lies we believe and the truths we need. And I'm like, what's the lie that I believe? And I hear it in my ear, I can get to you anytime, anywhere, and God will never stop me. And God thundered back and said, Susie, you have believed that your whole life. Yes, you are a serious follower of Christ, but you have believed that you have to endure everything you fear. You have to believe that he can get you anytime, anywhere. It's not true. You don't know how I've provided in your life. You don't know what I've prevented in your life. I'm not going to let you lose, but I have to let you fight. And that began this journey of me realizing there was still a stronghold of fear. But I will tell you it's been eight years of trying to come back from something that was horrific. So the symptoms, I would, at nighttime, my heart would start to beat out of my chest. Numbing would shoot up my neck and into my jaw like a stroke. And I was starting to have cognitive, major cognitive issues where I was driving home and I forgot where I was and forgot how to spell. And I'm on the air and I'm I, forgetting words. And it's like, you're on live. And I'm like, I'm not getting my words. So it was a hellish battle. It was really, really hard. And I'd realized when I'd got to this point that I was disappointed in God. I didn't know that until Alan had said this. I was hurt by God. So I was still worshiping. I was still enjoying my quiet times, but there was this in me that I couldn't believe at this age I was walking this road again. And as a public person, you can't believe the things people will say to you. You're a leader at that level. You're still not healed yet. Where's your faith? Stuff like that. Not helpful. And um, so when he said that, you know, I wondered... Are there places in my life where I'm almost only almost persuaded? After the show, I took everything I could to keep it together. I got through the show. I went face down and wept. And I said, God, I'm disappointed. I'm so hurt. I don't know where you are. I see you moving over here. I pray about this, and you move. I I ask for your voice and wisdom over here, and you speak. But in this place that I'm being ravaged by the enemy, it's crickets. Do I take more supplements? Do I take less? Do I see more doctors? Do I say, but what, what do you want me to do? And it was like nothing. What am I supposed to do? And he whispered to me, and he reminded me of the story of John the Baptist, who was, Jesus said, greatest man, born to woman. You know, Jesus' cousin. He baptized Jesus. And yet, he, when he was in prison, away from the action, he started to doubt and those of you who walk through hard times and start to question, that should comfort you. That the greatest man born to woman, was in, when he was away from the action, started to have questions. And he sends his friends to ask Jesus, are you the Christ? Or should we be looking for someone else? And Jesus replied back, tell John, that the lame leap, the blind get their sight. In other words, I'm still performing miracles. Even when you're away from the action, I'm still the same God. But blessed are those who are not offended with me. And that was my work, I realized in that moment, because I had to confess, I'm so hurt. I'm so hurt. But I'm going to not be offended. And I started to really, really work on my heart, and I realized there are some promises God had made me about my health, my healing, my process. And just like everybody else in COVID and all the social unrest, I started to waver between two opinions because the storms were raging so hard. You know, when Elijah was on Mount Carmel, and he was talking to God's people, he said to them so boldly, how long are you going to waver between two opinions? If God is God, serve him. If you're small g God is it, go with him, but make a decision. In the book of James, he says that if we need wisdom for anything, ask, but be sure that you'll receive it, because anybody who asks with double-mindedness, plan A, B, and C, anybody who wavers in unbelief should not expect to receive anything. You know, It's understandable given all we've been through in the last few years. But I wonder if we've lost our roar. I think we're getting it back. But I think for a time, we did lose our roar. I do think we're getting it back. We were talking over lunch today. I feel like our feet are getting splashed with revival. We are seeing an increased hunger. We are seeing an increased pursuit. Church numbers are going up. Youth numbers are going up. I believe we're on the cusp of a great outpouring. I believe it so strongly. But it's easy to wonder when you go through a personal storm or even the kinds of storms we've seen in our nation. Is it really true that I'm not at the mercy of the times or of man's opinion or even my opinions of myself? Is it really true that a healed and whole soul is my spiritual right as an heir of God? Is it really true that I have a unique and powerful call of God on my life and that it matters greatly that I engage my faith and walk out my part of the kingdom story? And is it really true that there are promises in scripture that are for me, that as I pray them and say them and believe them, I will see mountains move and waters part. How long will we waver between two opinions? So my prayer tonight is that you start to restore the roar, that you enjoy such intimacy with God that you get so assured of his character of who he is his this unchanging good and mighty God that when the enemy comes against you you roar back I know him and because I know him I know these things to be true I am secure I am healing I am called and I am promised so I am secure Ephesians 2 4, 7, and I'm going to read a longer passage God so rich in mercy He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace you've been saved, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he's done for those of us united in Christ. Now, again, as someone who uh, battled... Painful insecurity in my early years. I realized that insecurity not only is just another form of selfishness, it is because it makes us live life with ourselves in mind. It's not the same as humility or meekness, it's a parasite that will drain the life out of us. But also, for the believer who's got the Spirit of God in them seated with Christ, insecurity for us is an illusion. We might feel insecure. But we never are insecure, because you can't be more secure than seated with Christ. Amen? And what's one of the things that we have to practice in our mind and ponder, ponder the love of God? So I just ask you to repeat after me. In Jesus' name, I reject rejection, and I accept acceptance. In Jesus' name, I reject insecurity, and I embrace holy confidence. In Jesus' name, I reject fear, and I embrace perfect love. I am in Christ. Christ is in me, and I lack no good thing. 1 John 4, 16, it says, And so we know and rely on the love of God. Ephesians says, To know this love is to be filled with the fullness of God. He loved us first while we were yet sinners, I've been, just as I've been coming back from this relapse and realizing I loved God, I worshiped him, but there were some core beliefs in my soul that I had to endure everything I feared. And it was a horrific battle, I will be honest. But in it, God met me, and I feel like coming out the other side, I know him more. I know his word more. I know the enemy's predictable ways more. This battle was not wasted on me, and our battles don't have to be wasted on us. And one of the things, because of what happened with my brain, and I'll tell you about that in just a moment, was how much I needed to work on rerouting my thought process, because I was terrified by some of these neurological symptoms. Before they knew it was mold, they thought it could be some other neurological disability that was out of control in my body. And if anybody's ever walked through any neurological stuff, you know how scary it can be. So anyway, I started to have brain scientists on my show, and one of them is Dr. Tim Jennings. And I say to my listeners, I hope this is interesting to all y'all, but I got some questions (laughs) about the brain. Thankfully, they liked it as well. But one thing Dr. Tim Jennings talked about, because he talked about how we're made in God's image, he gave this assignment to our listeners, and I'm going to give it to you. I challenge you if you should dare to accept it. He said, for the next 30 days, if you were to spend 15 minutes a day pondering God's love for you, not your love for him, it is good to worship him. It's good to think about how much you love him. But if your charge is 15 minutes a day, every day for the next 30 days, pondering his love for you. Maybe make a worship playlist, compile a list of scriptures, you know, prayerfully just thank him for the way he loves you. Dr. Tim Jennings says it will change your brain structure, it'll change your physiology, and it, of course, it'll change your faith perspective. You are secure. If you are in Christ, the Spirit of God, the spirit that raised Christ from the dead is alive in you, and you're seated with Christ. And what's amazing is he doesn't yank you from your place at the table just because you temporarily forget who you are. Isn't that amazing? On your good days, on your bad days, on your high days, on your low days, if you've just lost your job or you just got hired and got a raise, on the days you're killing it, on the days the day is killing you, you're seated as an heir of God. You're loved. And so to ponder his love is really will change change everything from the inside out. In fact, scientists have found, apart from faith, I found this fascinating because fear was massive for me in this battle for me, is that your brain, this is what scientists have learned, of course, they're just catching up with scripture, that our brains operate on one of two fuels. Guess what they are? Fear and love. Scientists have figured this out. And what does scripture say? There's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. But what science has learned, when, you are, when, the, when your brain is fueled by fear, What happens is your cells close up. You don't get the nutrition from your food. You don't get hydrated from the water you drink. And your capacity to learn new things goes down exponentially. But when you're in love, when you're living in love, when you're living loved and walking and trusting in the love of God, your cells open up and you get the nourishment from food. Your capacity to learn new things goes up. We're wired for love, is that not amazing? But we so often default to where we kind of ride the wave of our performance but we would be steadied if we focused on Christ's performance. So you're secure. So say it, I'm secure. secure. Amen. Second, I'm healing. Now here is where I'm going to ask for grace. It's family camp. We're a family. And uh, this is a tough topic, the topic of healing. And so I'm well aware of, as I share with you, where i am in this process and my thoughts from scripture we may not all agree and i hope we can still be friends afterwards so just i'm asking for grace as someone who's walked a long long hard road in this and i've studied scripture and i've read a ton of books on healing so i'll just in a nutshell tell you jesus still heals he's the healer he's the same god yesterday today and forever i remember as a young mom begging god heal me heal me if not for me for my little boys I felt like I don't know maybe you've changed your mind about me but do you see these boys they need their mom oh god would you heal me and one day the lord whispered to my heart I would heal you today but you'd lose it tomorrow I why and he said because you don't have the infrastructure for healing you think like a sick person and it's true because the symptoms were so wild and all over the place. My brain was going where my symptoms were, and I started there practicing, rebuilding an infrastructure. And I, as a person in fitness, I understood anatomy. I started to thank God for all the systems in my body that work without me even needing to intervene. Thank you that my heart beats. Thank you that my eyes adjust to light when I change room from dark to light. I'm so fearfully and wonderfully made. I just started to thank God for that, all, that there was more right than wrong with my body, and I could feel my resilience building in my body. It matters what you tell yourself about your story, your health. It matters where your thoughts go and where your words go. Isaiah 53, 4 through 5 says this. It was our weakness he carried, our sorrows that weighed him down. We thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. My process has been a long journey, but my youngest son, Jordan, you saw the picture of him. When he was 17 years old, he took a late hit in football. The play was over. He was on the ground. He was getting up, and the player came and clipped him so hard his head went back and smacked down to the ground and blew out a disc in his back. And uh, the doctor said it was the worst they'd ever seen. 17 years old, it exploded and was compressing three sets of nerves. And they said that his spinal column was wider than most. They said, we have seen an injury half this bad where they can't walk at all. But his spinal column was wide enough, so even though the blowout was way worse than anything they'd ever seen, he could do this. He could kind of shuffle like that. That's all he could do. He couldn't carry one book, so they had to put his books at all of his classes and give him extra passing time. We tried epidural injections. We tried traction. And he's shy. And so this was his outlet. His friends were his athlete, you know, his football player friends. And we watched his world shrivel, and it was so painful. And he was just, the light was going out of his eyes. And by this time, we're in summertime. And I uh, heard two days in a row, two stories of miraculous healing from this exact injury. And when I'd heard the story, something quickened within me. And so I went home, and he was sitting on the couch, just staring at the TV, kind of looking through the TV, so depressed. And I said, honey, honey, I said, I've heard two stories in the last two days of miraculous healings of your entry. And I said, I know you've watched me struggle, and I know my journey has been a long one, but that doesn't mean anything because God is a sovereign God, and he knows what's what. He knows who's who, and I really believe I heard from him that he wants to heal you. I said, what if we just bend on the side of faith, err on the side of faith, and start thanking him by faith for your healing? What do you say? He says, okay, So the next morning, I'm out on the deck crying out to God, praying, just trusting, and Jojo comes out, and he sits down, and he scoops up my hand, and he said in his very gentle, meek way, thank you, Jesus, for my healing. Thank you for my miracle. And he gets up, and he's walking out the door like this. I go, where are you going? He goes, football training camp. (laughs) And I, I mean, seriously, he could not carry one book. And I'm like, okay. And so Monday, Wednesday, Fridays were strength days, and the only thing he could do was the seated bicep curl. So you sit in a chair, you put your elbows here, and he could do a lightweight because there was no pressure on his back. But he literally would shuff, shuffle in, and all of his teammates were like, dude, what are you doing here? And he would do his bicep curl. He said his temples would sweat just from that. And he's like, see you tomorrow. The next morning, he'd scoop up my hand Jesus, thank you for my healing. Thank you for my miracle. On the running days, all he could do is get on the elliptical. He said his arms would shake, and he would do a senior citizen level warm-up for like three minutes where he could barely move his legs, and he said that about killed him. But he just, each day, dude, what are you doing here? He'd be like, see you tomorrow. Day in, day out. Thank you, Jesus, for my healing. Thank you for my miracle. He'd get out the door again. Well, one night it was youth group time, Emmanuel Christian Centers where our kids, JC's place, and he came to me, and he said, I don't want to go. I'm in pain and I'm depressed. I don't want to go. And I said, honey, I would never force you to go in your state ever. But I know for me, the times when I have a, you know, scheduled appointment with God's people and I don't want to go, it's usually when I need to go the most. So I'm not going to force that on you, though, but I'm asking you, go in your room and pray and just ask God. And whatever God says, I will honor. And he said, okay. And he came out and he said, God wants me to go. So he went, and if you've ever been at Emmanuel, it's a big church, and back then I think there were 500 kids in that youth group, and uh, <laughs> the, youth, we're, the, we're, we're, the youth pastor gets up, and he says, before we get into our regular youth group night, he says, Joey here, I should pick a different name because my son is Jordan, let's call him Jim, Jimmy, I don't remember the kid's name, but he said, Jimmy here was just fresh off of a mission trip, and he's got a testimony. Jimmy's pants are hanging halfway down his rear end, and he's kind of slouchy. And he kind of comes up, and he's got this testimony like this. Yeah, so um, I didn't really think God healed anymore. But this little kid in the village got sick. And, well, I prayed for him, and he got healed. So, yeah, he does heal. (laughs) And he walks off the, and I'm like, sign that boy up. I mean, like, he's just off the stage. But Jordan is in the crowd, and he said his heart's beating out of his chest. And the Lord said, that's the boy I want to pray for you. So then the worship team gets up, then the youth pastor gets up, and it's the whole thing, and it's a big altar, so all the youth leaders are, you know, and they're coming forward. Now, this literally for Jordan is like the woman with the issue of blood because he's shy, and to be jostled was excruciating, but he's pressing through hundreds of kids to find a short kid he'd never otherwise met before. And, you know, I try to imagine the guts that that took and the pain, but he went and he found him out on the curb, and he said, hey, I'm Jordan Larson. I've got a back injury. I'm wondering if you pray for me, and the kid's like, okay, I mean, whatever, I mean, really, like, n- no compassion or empathy, just okay, you know, so he puts his hand on Jordan's back, and he starts to pray, and JoJo said he felt heat, but he didn't know what, he, did, he didn't know, you know, and the kid's like, well, see ya, <laughs> he at least doesn't ask him any questions or anything, and so George is standing there, and Jordan said all of a sudden, he just went like this and felt nothing, so he went like this and felt nothing. So he took his fingers and he walked them down his thigh and he felt nothing. So he bent over, touched his toes, stood up, and sprinted through the parking lot. He was miraculously healed. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, back at the ranch, this gives you an insight into how romantically challenged we are. We were sitting on our king bed with our laptops open, emailing each other, Kevin and I. So... Kids are all gone. Why not take that chance to email each other since we're right here? So this is what we literally were doing. We're emailing, Did you get my email? Yeah, I just got it. It just came in. It's so pathetic, really. So we're sitting there emailing, talking, and JoJo comes in the door, kicks the door open. Mom, Dad, phew, His leg goes in the air. He does this, and I, I literally looked like I was in football training camp because I had the laptop on my lap. I jumped up on the bed. My laptop went flying. <laughs> and then I flew off the, de- off the bed onto my knees buried my face in his knees and was weeping. I'm like, what happened? What happened? And he told us what happened. I was overwhelmed. So the next morning, I'm crying, crying, because it was just months and months. And the doctors had told us before this word from God that we felt like God was going to heal. him. the doctors pulled us aside and said, your 17-year-old is going to lose control of his bowels. And this will be a, a partial, permanent disability. It's such a messy blowout. We can't fix it. And he's got so much nerve compression that he's going to lose control of his bowels. So try to imagine that's what we were looking toward, and then this happens. So the next morning, I'm like, I don't get your ways, God. I'm just crying. I don't understand it. You know, some people say A plus B always equals C. I'm sorry. I don't think it does. There are a lot of people who do right, who don't get right. Godly parents who raise their kids, and they still wonder. And I think we do a great disservice in the body of Christ when we say it's just easy. It's a formula. A plus B equals C, and if you don't get C, you missed a step. But people say that, and people do that. There is a mystery with God. He's not bound by our dictates, is he? No. He's the one who calls the shots, and we follow him, and we trust the mystery of his ways. So I'm crying out to God, going, I don't get it. I know you're a God who still heals. I know you're the same God. I don't understand always why certain people who have faith get sick and die, and some live chronically ill. I don't get it, but that you would heal my boy. I don't know how I'll ever thank you enough, God. And so Jojo comes out, and in his sweet way, scoops up my hand and says, Jesus, thank you for my healing. Thank you for my miracles. Same voice, same, you know. And he gets up, and I'm like, oh, where are you going? He goes, training camp? Like, duh. And it's a running day. And what's so funny to me is he ran two full laps around the field with the team before they noticed (laughs) it. I always tell the women, I'm sorry, I think we would have noticed it a little quicker. But um, anyway... They run, they sprint, and he kept up with them. I mean, he kept up with them, and all of a sudden, they all stopped and went, "Jordan, what happened?" And because he'd been showing up every single day, he had a captive audience to tell the coaches and the team, "God healed me. It's a medical miracle. It's a medical miracle." Now, the reason I say I'm healing is because what I've studied this a lot. I've studied scripture. I've talked to Christian brain scientists. I, I mean. When they say, you declare, I'm healed. Just say it, I'm healed. There are some people whose bodies are so racked with sickness, they might be saying it, but they don't believe it. They really, they don't have the faith for that. And what that happens, when you're saying one thing and believing another, it creates something called cognitive dissonance. So when you're saying something and believing another, it creates a disorientation in your mindset. Now, the thing is, you hear people say, I've had people say, you need more faith, you need more faith. But didn't Jesus say, all you need is a mustard seed? When he's saying, where's your faith? I really believe he's saying it's in there. If you've got the spirit of God in you, you have faith. So it's more about activating the faith that you do have. And so that's why I say some of you, maybe, let's say you have a sick body, but God has given you full faith to say, I'm healed. Well, then declare it, baby. But if you're maybe battling and you're like, I I can't see it. But if I'm really honest, I actually have faith to believe that I'm going to start sleeping at night, or my ears are going to stop ringing. So what faith do you have? And maybe yours isn't health. Maybe it's uh, a prodigal, or a marriage hanging on by a thread, or your finances that you can never get ahead. And when you have people put on you, you know, you'd get right if you just do right. It doesn't help anybody. In fact, those who are sick, it's a double burden to say, not only are you sick, and I'm sorry, but it is your fault too. But I just say, if the Spirit of God is in you, You've got faith, so what do you have faith for? Find that space and then activate it. Activate your faith and say, Lord, I believe, because the scripture says, I believe and therefore speak. So if you do have faith to say, I am healed. In the spiritual realm, I see myself fully healed. Well, then declare it all day long. But if you're someone who's in process and you're being honest, you and you can say, you know what, it's hard for me to imagine full symptom freedom. But Lord, I have a vision for this. I'm healing. And again, maybe the health thing isn't your thing, but your soul has been absolutely destroyed by rejection or betrayal. Maybe you want to take the healing thing, the physical healing thing off the table because maybe you have a different mindset than I do altogether. He is a God who still heals. You'll never convince me otherwise. But can we all agree that he restores our soul and wants to make us whole? You look at Jesus, he is the savior who heals. He, he came, he said, by his stripes we are healed. He said, What's harder? Forgiving sins or telling this man to rise up and walk, they're the same to him. But isn't there a mystery to his ways? I had a mentor who had vocal cord cancer, and that woman had fire in her eyes. And she had her little box up to her neck, and she said, Susie, make no mistake about it. She said, God did not give me this cancer. The devil did, but he will not determine the length of my days. She said, God will take me when he gets more glory from my death than he does from my life. The devil will not have the last say. I don't understand the mystery, so what I'm saying is where I land theologically, I believe God still heals, but I also say there is a mystery. There are godly people. I know a number of godly people who've gotten sick and died, and I wouldn't say they were lacking faith. The ones that I know had a sense that their time was up. I have a friend, in the, uh, he's a TV host. When his daughter died, someone had the audacity, within a day or two of her death, telling him she'd still be alive if you had more faith. Wow, we can't do that. So I feel like if we can walk with a reverence before God to say he is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. He is the God who heals, but the wisdom of his ways are beyond me. I will just tell you, if God would have miraculously healed me, I I would have probably gotten something else because I had so much trauma baked into my character that I had to go in layers. And I really think we're in such a quick fix-it society that we want to be zapped. But there's stuff in us that needs healing deeper than our physical healing. Some of us need to be delivered from rejection or inferiority or insecurity or self-preservation. All of us need healing of some kind. And to believe that we follow a healer, so when you're on the path of Jesus, you're following a healer. So one of the, the things that would happen at night for me, Kev would just fall asleep so quick, and I think this is a, another reason why at times sleep is tricky. I'm not traumatized by it anymore because God has done such a deep work. But many times during this stretch, all of a sudden, I'd feel the numbing start to come, and all of a sudden, my heart was beating irregularly, and the numbing would go up my neck, and I felt like I was having a stroke, and, uh, and the room would start to spin, and uh, I, I, it was so horrendous. I'd walk the floor all night and quote scripture and take deep breaths trying to get my body to settle down. And I remember one night, I just said, God, you're going to have to kill me or heal me because I don't have the mental bandwidth to keep doing this. I can't live like this. And the Lord whispered, Ephesians 2, 9, maybe you know it, for by grace you've been saved through faith, not of ourselves, it's a gift of God, not a result of works, so no man can boast. I said to the Lord, I don't mean to be sassy, but I already know that verse, and it doesn't seem very helpful right now. <laughs> That's what I said. And he said, look it up. So the next morning after my night from hell, it really was, it was so scary and terrifying and exhausting, I looked it up, and guess what? For by grace you've been saved, the word saved in the original translation is sozo. You know what sozo means? To save, heal, restore, make well, restore to health, and to save from the penalties of judgment. We so often use Ephesians 2 9 only as a salvation verse, but if you follow Jesus through the Gospels, he cared about the human condition. And if we think those are just relegated to the Old Testament, and I mean, to, to the Bible, to the Old and New Testament, and then the rest of us have to just sort of hunker down and hang on till Jesus returns, how is that a New Testament, how is the New New Covenant more glorious if there was more healing in the Bible than there is today? He's the same God. So if somehow, some way, we've got to engage our hearts to go, Lord, show me the faith that's in me. What do I have faith to believe you for? And activate that faith, because if you activate the faith that you have, you'll get more faith that you want. Amen? It's amazing to me, for by grace, we're healed, we're restored, we're made well, we're restored to health, and we're saved from the penalties of judgment. I don't understand God's mysteries, but I believe with all my heart that we serve a God who heals. I do think it's cruel to tell someone that once their loved one dies that they'd still be around if you had more faith. I Personally, I just don't think that's Okay? I think somehow we have to approach these topics with reverence and humility and care because we don't know what we don't know. So to walk in humility while we walk in expectancy, I think is what's gonna help us have the best perspective on these battles. Psalm 103, 1 through 5, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. He forgives all my sins, heals all my diseases, ransoms my life from the pit, crowns me with loving compassion, satisfies my desires with good things, and my youth is renewed like the eagles. Who doesn't need what's in that promise? Forgives all my sins, heals all my diseases, ransoms my life from the pit, crowns me with loving compassion, satisfies my desires with good things, and my youth is renewed like the eagle. I want all of that. So as long as I have breath, I'm praying that verse. I'm walking it out, talking it out, praying that verse because I know my faith pleases God. Does it make sense what I've just said? I Do understand what I'm saying? Can we still be friends? Are we good? Okay. Um, it, thank you. Thank you. It's, it's a tough one. And I'm a work in progress. And I do believe there was a day th- in this really yucky stretch where Kev sat me down. He said, I see it, honey. I see it. He goes, I see it. There's a day coming. Sorry. he said there's a day coming when you're going to bound through your days and not even think about these scary symptoms anymore. You'll be so healthy, it won't occur to you to think about sickness. And when he said that, um, I knew it was true. It was like it quickened in me. And so I can contend, and I keep believing. I get knocked on my butt. I cry, and then I come up swinging again. (laughs) Yeah. I'm secure. I'm healing. And if you can say, I'm healed, do it. With all the breath in you, I'm healed. Third, I'm called. I'm called. We've talked about this in the first session yesterday. Feels like a week ago, doesn't it? But, and I write a lot about that in my book, Your Beautiful Purpose. But in a nutshell, some of the things we talked about the other day, your core calling is to be much with God. To walk so intimately with him that his voice, his presence is everything to you. Be much with God. And then do the next thing he tells you to. And then three, if you dare Give him access to your story, your character, your inconsistencies, your fears, and let him redeem your story and turn you into someone you never dreamed you could be. And then further, if you dare, ask him to do the impossible in and through you. In my book, Uncommon Woman, I tell the story about some leaders. We were all sitting around the table telling war stories of just times when spiritual battle and how God broke through. And uh, this young missionary from Africa was named Mervis. And Murphys mentor, I'll call him James because I don't remember his name, but he said James possessed a knowledge of God and an intimacy with God like nobody had ever met. He said he just walked and oozed God's presence. He had a joy and a winsomeness about him and a confidence, and he would not be moved. He spent so much time in God's presence, he just carried the presence with him. And he said James was called to a place in Africa to minister to missionaries who were really under it and feeling oppressed and depressed. And when the plane landed, James steps off onto the tarmac and the host greets him and says, Brother James, now that you're here, do you feel the oppression in the air? Do you feel that it's thick, it's tangible? James throws his shoulders back and he says, You listen to me. I had the living, loving Lord Jesus alive in me. When I step foot on this land, that oppression feels me. Man, wow. One of my faith heroes, George Mueller, fed and housed and educated thousands of orphans. And this is a story about George Mueller from an old devotional called Streams in the Desert. One of my favorites. A number of years ago, I went to America with a steamship captain who was a very devoted Christian. In fact, I'll call the worship team up. Thank you. A number of years ago, I went to America with a steamship captain who was a very devoted Christian. When we were off the coast of Newfoundland, he said to me, The last time I sailed here, which was five weeks ago, something happened that revolutionized my entire Christian life. I'd been on the bridge for 24 straight hours when George Mueller of Bristol, England, who was a passenger on board, came to me and said, Captain, I need to tell you, I must be in Quebec on Saturday afternoon. That's impossible, I replied. Very well, Mueller responded. If your ship cannot take me, God will find some other way, for I have never missed an engagement in 57 years. Let's go down to the chart room to pray. Now is that not audacious? Captain, I must tell you, this is where I need to be. Impossible, very well. God will find another way. Come with me now, let's pray. I just think that's audacious. (laughs) I looked at this man of God and thought to myself, what lunatic asylum did you escape from? I'd never encountered someone like this. Mr. Mueller, I said, do you not realize how dense this fog is? No, I do not, he replied. My eye is not on the dense fog, but on the living God who controls every circumstance of my life. He then knelt down and prayed one of the most simple prayers I'd ever heard. When he finished, I started to pray, but he put his hand on my shoulder and told me not to pray. First, you do not believe God will answer, and second, I believe he already has. Consequently, there's no need whatsoever for you to pray about this. Come on, I know. Wow. As I looked at him, he said, Captain, I have known my Lord for 57 years, and there has never been even a single day that I have failed to get an audience with the King. Get up, Captain, and open that door, and you will see the fog is gone. I got up, and indeed the fog was gone. And on Saturday afternoon, George Mueller was in Quebec for his meeting. Hallelujah. I want you to stand, if you would. I'm secure, I'm healing. I'm called, and I'm promised. God wants us to be so intimately connected to him that when he sends us, we are confident that he will make a way where there is no way. He will part the waters. He will move the mountains. He will make a way where there is no way. Scripture says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. Power is dunamis power, explosive power. Love is the agape love, like Christ who laid his life down. And sound mind, self-control, restraint, moderation. It's time for the church to re-engage and it's time for us to restore our roar. John 1:12 says, As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become sons of God. Another translation is, To as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become sons of God. That word power, right, translates delegated authority and influence. To, as we receive him, He gives us the power to be sons and daughters of God. And with that, as he grafts us into the family line, there's a certain delegated authority assigned to us. But if you use it, if you don't use it, you lose it. You don't lose your salvation. You don't lose his love, but you lose your influence. And if we live our whole lives constantly battling our issues of insecurity, inferiority, what people think, we will go through life missing the best of what God has but if we can lay hold of the fact I am deeply loved I know this God he loved me so much he sent his son the star breathing God knows my name and every thought he has about me is holy he is for me not against me I know him and because I know him I know I'm secure even if you're making me feel insecure I'm secure I can't be more secure I am healing on my way to being fully healed I am called there's an anointing on my life and where he guides he will provide and there are promises in scripture with my name on it. I want you to just try something move your arm up like this move your arm up like that in fitness that's called going through the motions just flinging your arm up right now think of that deltoid think of your shoulder muscle now bring it up like you're engaging your muscle engage the muscle you feel the difference do you see what I'm saying do we need to do a whole class no, you get what I'm saying. Fling, like this, or you're engaging the muscle. You're like trying to get that deltoid to engage. This is what it looks like in the spirit. Because it's so easy, especially if you've been around the block a few times in the Christian world. You know your Bible, you know the songs. It is easy to sing the songs while you're going through the grocery list in your mind. That's this, going through the motions. And the enemy would love nothing more than for us to go through the motions. Because when you disengage your heart, you disengage your faith. And when you disengage your faith, nothing happens in the spiritual realm. So it's time to re-engage your faith. And so the songs we're going to sing in a little bit are the ones that they opened with. I'm asking if we could engage our faith like you're engaging your deltoid, where you sing the songs that that he is good all the time, that we have a friend in Jesus, that he is for us, not against us, and we can walk in the fullness of who God is because we belong to him. So I'm going to pray for you. We're going to worship, and I'm just asking.